We the people. We the people. We the people of the United States. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. All criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and case of the accusations, blah, blah, blah. You get the whole thing, but it's that trial by jury thing that attracts our attention today, although not perhaps in the way that you're used to talking about it. Welcome to the show. It's the Constitution Thursday, the Saturday podcast. The first time we're back in the studio after going on the road. Woohoo! I'm Dave. I'm Pat. I'm Jeff. And we're happy to be here today with each and every one of you. Podcast at Constitution Thursday is the uh, the email address if you want to get a hold of us. Otherwise, you can check us out on the web at, pod, at constitutionthursday.com. It's kind of weird to say because that's probably where you, you're listening right now. So, well done. Unless you're on our Facebook page, in which case that took you here to constitutionthursday.com because you Problem. clicked on the link and you came here and you get the whole idea. So I uh, I came across a case this week or actually a couple weeks ago because I've been bugging you guys about this for months. I don't know, nigh on to a month at least. Because this case just really, really attracted my attention. It's, it's one of those things that I... It, it crosses so many different ideas and thought processes that I, uh, I just felt like, and it ends so wonderfully that I had to get into the, the case of the car pan. It's Constitution Thursday, the Saturday podcast. So how familiar are you with the Sikh faith? Somewhat. Not really. I mean, if I, if I had to ask you, what, it, what do you know three things about the Sikh faith? What would you come up with? Anything, anything in, they wear a, they wear a headdress. They wear a headdress. They usually have beards. Usually have beards. And they have to carry a knife. Do they have to carry a knife? That's the real question. Well, there, there's there's actually some um, there, there's actually some some controversy about that knife part, which is the the Sikh faith, of course, is uh, is predominantly uh, India, which is 19 million. The United Kingdom, 760,000. The United States is actually the third largest Sikh nation in the world. Wow, 500,000. And I think a lot of them live within seems, shouting seems, distance. Seems of like us. most of them are pretty much here in the Central Valley. I mean, you can't go. I don't, everywhere you go, there's like a Sikh temple. I know if you take the, uh, the Amtrak through Turlock, it goes right by the, the Sikh temple. Which is a really there. nice place. Isn't there a big Sikh in Detroit? Is that, or is that a different? That's, uh, Islamic. That's Islamic. All right, right. So the secret, and, and, and I think that's the, um, that's the, the, the interesting thing about the sea is it, it is often conflicted and con- conflated with, uh, with Islam. I mean, you see the, the, the average person walking down the street sees a Sikh person, they go, oh, Islamic, and they are completely not. I mean, I, I don't really know how else to describe it other than as far as Christianity is from, from Islam, Sikh is, is equally as far from Islam. I mean, they are not Islamic, so they don't superficial follow, appearances they are— They don't follow the, uh, the Quran, right? No, they do not. So it's—the— it, it, um, 
A Sikh is defined as any human being who faithfully believes in one immortal, one immortal being, ten gurus, from uh, Guru Nanak to Guru Singh, Guru Sahib, and the teachings of the ten gurus, and the baptism bequeathed by the tenth guru. Now, I went to seminary, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I, I could even reasonably discuss theology of, of Sikhism, and that's really not the point of this issue today. But the um, it's a fascinating religion in a lot of ways, It's because, A, because it's so prevalent, and B, because of its unfortunate tendency to be confused elsewhere, which leads to some some problems. I, I guess the best way to describe that is uh, perhaps some... some uh, overreaction on behalf of some people. There's a case out of Sacramento or uh, that area right now where a Sikh uh, former soldier veteran was, was shot by the police and that's causing a lot of uproar in the community and, and those sorts of things. But it's one of those religions that we don't, you know, it's the largest region in the world, the Punjab religion in, in region in India is where it's, it's really found prevalently. And of course, as I said, it's a huge part of India, 19 million people in India are of the Sikh faith. So it's a fairly, fairly huge thing over there. And it is interesting how we don't tend to pay as much attention to, if you're not like one of the big two or three, you're just sort of right. miscellaneous. Right. You're, you're, you're other. Right. I mean, I, at one point in my, in my life, not anymore, but at one point in my life, I actually belonged to a denomination that in the military, when I got my dog tags, because of that denomination, it actually said other religion yeah, or which was, ridiculous but or I, I remember a scene from the simpsons where reverend lovejoy is saying you know whether you're a christian a jew or other and i right. standing there you know there are three billion of us that are others yeah. it's uh it, it's i i find it fascinating because it's just uh like i said it's it, it speaks back to that first amendment thing now i doubt that there were a lot of sikhs in america in 1790s in, in 1787 i doubt there were if there was one, I would be surprised, right. but there certainly weren't many uh, in any case. But the, the prescience of the, of the founders to look at that uh, with, the, with the First Amendment, especially to look at that and go, well, you know, we're not going to have an official state religion. And coming from an area where religion is so dominant in the sense of controlling lives and controlling uh, politics and that sort of things as it does uh, in the subcontinent, it's, it's intriguing to me. But I did go through the the philosophies and the, the history of, of the Sikh religion, because it was something of, of particular interest to me. And that was that anybody can be a Sikh, but until you've had the baptism, you are not considered a, for lack of better phraseology. And if I offend anybody, I apologize, but you're not considered a full Sikh. You are not a baptized pra- practicing Sikh. member. No, no, you're, you're practicing. You're considered you're practic- Sikh, you're not, but you're not <coughs> official um, baptized. You're not, okay. I, there's, there's really no way to, no, I got you. It'd be like a, being Jewish without being circumcised. Like, I guess. Conf, like conf, well, I'm I'm from the Lutheran faith. You have right. to be confirmed. It's confirmation. Okay. So yeah, same thing. You are hereby confirmed. But it's a little more complicated right. than that. But well, I had to go through classes and stuff. So, <laughs> but that was fun. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not Lutheran, so there you go. Um, at any rate, a baptized Sikh. There's there's an easy way to tell a baptized Sikh, and do you know what that easy way to tell is? They always carry upon them what's called a carpan or a kerpan, depending on on your spelling. And uh, the kerpan is, of course, a weapon. It is a knife of six-inch dagger. It can be. In some cases, it can be an outright sword. Uh, there, there's the there doesn't seem to be, and there may be, but I can't find it where there is any definitive length on the thing. But because it's symbolic, 
I guess um, I, I guess there's some psychological element that the the bigger the the bigger the sword, the more dedicated I am, the more pious I, I. I hate to look at it that way. Stop, just stop. You know where he's his mind is going because he's chat room Jeff. I'm not going anywhere. There's this man, it almost seems like there's this mentality because I, again, as I've noted in this around the world, here in the United States, a, a baptized Sikh tends to carry a very small, rounded and, and blunted kind of weapon. Whereas in other parts of the world, as we're going to learn later in the show, it's not unusual for them to carry a full-fledged cutlass around. and With not the best results. And, and express their religion. Yeah. So it, uh, but that's what they end. The Karpan, of course, is a ceremonial sword or dagger carried by baptized Sikhs. It's a religious commandment given by the Guru Singh at the, uh, back in 1699. So all baptized Sikhs must wear a kirpan at all times, along with the other articles of faith. Uh, although, those, although not all of those who identify as, as Sikhs carry a kirpan, it is one of the five articles of faith required to be worn by baptized Sikhs. So it's a fairly important religious item. And when you're talking about First Amendment issues with regards to freedom of religion— it, you know, we kind of joke sometimes about the, the, the made up new religions where, you know, today I'm, I mean, how many times have we, we, the courts had to look at religious accoutrements based on religions that just seem to be invented out of thin air and the had, church, the church of the fonds, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the church that needs to use drugs all the time. Exactly. Or the church that has to, you know, marry 12 year olds or something along those lines. Whereas you've got what you've got here is a religion that literally dates back to the to 1700 prior to the founding of the nation. This commandment was given by by the uh, by the by the guru, and subsequent to that, they have carried this kirpan ever since. Now, where does that come into play? It comes into play, of course, when you come to the United States of America and you are a baptized Sikh and an American citizen. That's the important part here. You're you're an American. You got to understand it. This. The case, the person we're going to talk about is an American citizen who um, actually grew up in Southern California as a Christian and at the in, in middle age discovered the Sikh faith and converted to the Sikh faith, went through the entire thing, baptized the whole nine yards, and carries with him because of a because of his faith a kerpat. And he's apparently also either a registered voter or has a driver's license. Well, he's a citizen. He's well, he's a good citizen. Yes, from, from but, all accounts that we can tell. But you're right, he has a driver's license and subsequently. Well, to- that's how you get on the jury list. Right. So. Subsequently, he was called for jury duty to go and serve as a jurist. And when he arrived at the courthouse with his kerpan, a kerfuffle ensued, and he was told he could not bring his kerpan into the courtroom, which raises all kinds of questions, does it not? I mean, we've got First Amendment issues here. We've got Sixth Amendment issues here. We've got 14th Amendment issues here, and we've got um, a, a real question, which is you have a right to a trial by jury if you're accused. But, Not of your peers. But do, of your- but do you have a right to be on a jury? Does the Constitution say that every citizen has a right to be on the jury? Or is a jury just whoever the government can concept to be on the panel? So that's my question. You have a right to a trial by jury if you're accused, but do you have a right as a citizen to serve on a jury? Let's do this because this would be a little bit weird to do it this way, but let's let's do it before and after. So before we actually get into what the Constitution says, your opinion, do we have a right to serve on a jury? 
Well, well, in today's world where everybody wants to get out of jury duty, it's refreshing to see somebody who wants to actually be on a jury. So for that, I applaud him. Well done. Uh, but I don't know if you actually have a right to sit on a jury. Uh, and, and you brought up something in the first segment, which was if you have a driver's license and you are a citizen, that's what puts you into the jury pool. Yeah, driver's license or voter registration. Okay. So what if this guy was a citizen? <coughs> However, didn't drive, he would never be part of that pool, would he not? Unless he voted. Well, okay, so so then he doesn't vote, and and he doesn't drive, which in this country there are a lot of people who do that. By the way, yeah. Um, so in that point, do those people have a right to vote if they or to sit on a jury if they don't drive or if they're not registered to do that? I think it's more of a luck of the draw type of deal pulling of the of the number out of the out of the hat that you sit on a jury but you don't have a right because when i get called for jury duty and i've gotten called for jury duty four or five times it's been a while oh no i just jinxed myself (laughs) thanks um i i've never sat on a jury i've been called and then it's one of these things where at noon they've kept me there because they're in you know, discussion, and then all of a sudden at twelve oh five, they've come to a a resolution, and you're excused. So I don't think you actually have a right to sit on a jury. My opinion. I tend to agree. I don't know. That, I mean, it, but it's sort of one of those which directions do you, direction do you come at it from? Because obviously, as a defendant, you have a right to a to a jury trial, and if you are of a particular race or gender, you have the right to say, "Wait a minute." You're excluding all insert group here from the jury. They can't do that. But I don't know that you as a person necessarily have a right to serve on a jury. I mean, I've, and I'm probably going to jinx myself here too. I've never actually served on a jury. And a large part of it is I know the minute I get up there, if I get, when I get called, you know, do you know anybody or are you in any way related to involved in law or law enforcement? Once they learn I'm a lawyer, basically I'm gone. Well, and, and that's exactly what, when you were talking, it kind of hit me a little bit is I I think in the jury system, the way the jury sets up, it's one of the very few um, places in America where you can technically be discriminated against. Because if I'm correct, and I know you're a lawyer, you have the right to say, I don't want that person on the jury for no other reason than to say, I don't want him on the jury or her. You you can, unless obviously there's, and, and just I'll pick a group here. You know, if there's five purple people eligible for the jury and you eliminate all five purple people, then the defense or the prosecution, depending on who's on the other side, then they can say, wait a minute. But to, but the law school I went to, the school of law and order, <laughs> I, I always have to bring that up. But I always see the fact that they can dismiss. They right. have five challenges. Yeah, you can throw people, you can throw people out just because you don't like so, like them. so in that case, you don't have a right, technically. You you can't sue a lawyer no. for saying, you didn't choose me to be on this jury. No, you can't. So it, that goes back to the fact of, I don't think you have a right to sit on a jury. The last jury I sat on had a defendant of, let's, let's just say an ethnic minority defendant, who, sitting at the defense table, expressed a great deal of disdain and a great deal of anger that after the Vordwire process, um, he was left with a jury that was, let's just say, monochromatic 
and not of his ethnic orientation. And he made a, a rather large outburst at that point. Does he not, at that point, do you think, have a right to, uh, to, to complain about the makeup of the jury? He has a right to complain about it, but it's also going to depend on whether the original pool had a fair number of his particular color and they were all excluded or if it was just the luck of the draw. So it comes back to this question then, because I, there's a part of me here that agrees with both of you. There is no right to sit on a jury. There's certainly no constitutional right to do that. There's nothing in the constitution that says you hereby have the right to serve on juries. But there are this, you run into these kinds of situations where a, I guess you have to go back to the original reason, the originalism that I love. That's my representation. My viewpoint of things is you, you go, you got to go back in history to the originalism and the ideas that the framers had in the jury system. Now they didn't invent it. It was an English custom as uh, Lord Blackstone wrote quite extensively. This was, it was the peculiar institution of British Liberty that they had these trials by juries and they provided a great bulwark against abuses by the crown. In a lot of ways, they were fantastic. The jury system was seen by the framers as being pro-defendant. In other words, there was almost an automatic assumption of, how's this for, uh, how's this for a cover? There was an automatic assumption that the defendant was innocent and that it was up to the government to prove that he was guilty. Well, that's, that's the system we, we... Is it? You have to prove... Is, is that the system we have today? Well, don't you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt? Well, in theory. In theory. But in practice, is that I mean, the case? No. And why is that not the case? I think it's, to a degree, it's the attitude of the jurors. I don't, I don't remember where it was from, but from some TV show, I remember a quote where a person Modern. said, I served on four juries and we did the right thing. We convicted the guy every time. Why does a judge say to the jury, uh, if the evidence shows that the, the defendant is guilty, you must convict him is that legal principle hmm well doesn't the doesn't the judge state beyond a reasonable doubt whatever he says you must you if if the evidence shows that he did it, he or she did it you must acquit is what is what a judge will almost invariably say now but is that in fact true why aren't jurors told as they understood back in the framing era that they don't have to that they they can, out of sure bloody-mindedness, acquit just because, well, it's a jury nullification. If they think that the penalty is too severe for the crime, they can, in fact, acquit based on that. They the can, fact that the law does not apply. They can acquit. They can lower the charges if a guy is a first-degree murder, but they're going to kill him for that. But we don't think it was, we don't like that punishment for this case. Um, and so we're going to convict him of second-degree murder to make sure that he doesn't get killed. Well, of course, we're 20 years out from... A rather good example of... Are we not? Exactly. We're exactly 20 years out from a fantastic example of a jury basically saying no. Despite overwhelming Right. Well, evidence. and a really terrible prosecution, too. Well, let's... Yeah. I, yes. The, the original jury, as, as, as the framers outlined in the, in the Federalist Papers, particularly Madison, was seen as pro-defendant. The defendant was automatically assumed to be innocent, and it was up to the government to prove that he was guilty. And it was supposed to be hard. It was also seen as pro-populist. In other words, what do the people think about this? The idea, there's, a, there's an element here of we sequester juries now, but is that really the right thing? Is that really what the government, who decided to start sequestering juries? 
Well, a lot of times the sequestration is at the request of the defense because they don't be, want right. they because don't want the, the jury media. to be biased against their client. Well, a lot right. of it has to deal with the media too. Right. You know, but what if it's what if what if the media is pro their client and the government is suddenly sequestering the jury? If the jury is supposed to be pro populist, how does that work? An interesting argument. And it was also seen as pro mercy. The jury was seen as a, in a very pro mercy. The jury was the the last bulwark of providing mercy to a defendant who, you know, may very well have made a mistake, but is it a mistake worthy of depriving them of life, liberty, or property? And so forth and so on. Yeah, would, but isn't the jury's job originally, in, in, and I'm, I'm probably wrong when I say this, is not only to judge whether the, the defendant did the crime and is guilty of the crime, but isn't wasn't the jury's purpose was to basically judge the actual law itself yeah, to verify yeah. that the and law is, is... And that's why they were able to do those things, and that's why it was so skewed to the defendant, which is a is, which is a position that today is is seen in a negative way because, you know, oh, they're just criminal. They wouldn't be in court if they hadn't done something wrong, blah, 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 blah. We've all heard this. We hear this all the time. Yeah, but didn't we... We, we talked about that in the Navarrete case last mm -hmm. time, and that was about the fact of of the, the, the whole thing with the, the search warrant. And, and I still argue the fact that they didn't have a reasonable, um, they have reasonable doubt to pull the guy over, which means they wouldn't have led to finding the, the marijuana, which they wouldn't have plea bargained on. Well, that so, would be a pro-defendant, pro-mercy, pro-populist position. That's correct. But I think... You'd be it, a good juror. Thank you. <laughs> Look at it from all ways. And, and I again, I never get set on a jury. But um, it's, it's one where... I was going to go with this, and I totally kind of described well, where I was well, going with it. Yes, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about something we were just talking about a minute ago about, you know, whether there's a right to serve on a jury, and I don't know. We're, I don't know if we've gotten to the case yet, but there's there's a case where it used to be women generally didn't serve on juries because if you wanted to be on a jury as a woman, you had to go and sign up for it. And I'm starting to think, and they said that was wrong that women had the right to serve. So how is that different from our system now where you have to either register to vote or have a driver's license to be in the jury pool? It's a good question. Those are all good questions. Of course, these, uh, these pro-mercy, pro-defendant, pro-populist positions could have led to and did lead to abuses, uh, particularly in the Deep South where you had uh, white defendants who were uh, absolved of obvious crimes against uh, African-American uh, victims and so forth and so on. And that led, of course, to the Duncan case, which... Um, there was a case out of Louisiana, which was clearly a, just a, a railroading job, and it led to the incorporation of the Sixth Amendment. So the Sixth Amendment trial by jury does apply to the states. So that draws in our question here about, well, who should be on these juries? Is there a right to be on these juries? I think the, I think the two have to work hand in hand because you want people that are supposed to be there and have a right to be there at the same time the defendant who has a right to that trial wants to be there. Well, and also I, I, I remember hearing stuff about people being quote unquote professional jurors. And that argument has come up uh, time and time again about, you know, we're going to pay you to be a juror and those jurors should know the law a little more than, than somebody else. But I, I don't think you can even get to that type of system ever because then you're going to. Well, you're potentially going to run afoul of yeah, it, the Sixth Amendment. Was it money? Money is the root of all evil. So you could buy somebody off or whatever. And I don't think having a professional jury like that ever is going to is ever going to be law of the land at all. I don't think so.
When it comes to jury duty, is there a line between a right being exercised and good citizenship being shown? You know, for a case that uh, somebody texted me and said, hey, there's not a lot of case law on this. Pretty good discussion here, huh? Well, just because there's not case law doesn't mean that it's not a good discussion. So where we left you was a, a gentleman, and his name, by the way, is uh, Gursant Singh. He's a Yuba City resident. He was told he could not be in a jury in the Sacramento County area because he carries a kerpan, which is a ceremonial knife. The question is, does he have a right to be on a jury? Because we have a law that says no weapons in a courtroom. In a federal building. Or a state building, for well, that matter. Certainly well. in a courtroom, but uh, and keep in mind that uh, all this stuff is kind of interrelated. And he has a faith, a religion, that says... I have to carry my kerpan at all times, or I am in violation of my my uh, my religion. I presume that there is eternal soul, or something is in danger. I don't really know what the penalty is for not carrying a kerpan. I mean, it's not like it's not like my faith where we don't eat uh, shellfish or bacon, and if we do, you know, we're unclean until evening, and we have to go take a bath, and then everything's fine. But I, I don't know what the penalty is in in seekdom for uh, for not carrying your kerpan. But well, I assume it's fairly serious. Is this guy? It's real quick, can he fly? Can he get on I mean, a plane and fly? Physically, can he? Oh, you mean no. can he get on a plane and fly? Yeah. Well, that's can, a good question. What do, you, what do you think the answer to that would be? Probably no. It, it, I, as I understand, some airlines have made accommodations, but not all. Oddly enough, that case has gone to the uh, to the courts as well. This went to uh, U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Texas, so don't ask me which one that one was, where a... An employee of the IRS was also a Sikh and was required to fly. I mean, she was told she had to go places. She had her kerpan. Uh, she sued the United States and various federal agencies when they told her, are you insane? You can't bring that on this plane. Uh, she sued them, alleging violations of her religious rights protected by Title VII, which is, of course, um, the Civil Rights Act. And she also sued under the RFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which kind of sought to undo some of the changes that had been done. And we don't have time to get into the whole RFRA today. But um, the the court, the Southern Court there in Southern Texas, affirmed her judgment and uh, remanded her claims for further development of evidence concerning the government's compelling interest in enforcing against this plaintiff the statutory ban on weapons with blades exceeding 2.5 inches. So in her case, they sent it back saying, you need to relook at this. Well, one interesting note that you said is she's an an employee of an of the IRS. Was she actually was. ended up? She's she's no longer with the IRS. Yeah, but, but but as being an employee, now you're in a state building or a federal building, and with how a did weapon. you get through? Exactly, because well, I've done work in federal buildings where I've been cleared as a contractor, and you don't go through metal detectors. You show your badge and you go in. So should I should I make the obvious joke about how a person who works for the IRS could have a soul and thus have a religion? See, now you're me. See, now you're me. Yeah, I, I wouldn't stick recommend making a, that obvious stick joke. To being a lower, yeah, stick to being a lawyer, right? <laughs> but, but in this case, if, you know, I've worked in federal buildings, obviously the work that I'm in uh, with construction and, and, and fire alarms and stuff like that, I need to be in some federal buildings. I do a lot of, I do a lot of government work. When I'm in a when I'm in a building for an extended period of time, I have to go through the FBI background check. I have to go get fingerprinted. I have to go do everything. But I get a badge. And when I'm issued a contractor's badge, I don't go through the metal detector. I show my badge. I walk in the door. No metal detector, no, no wand, no anything. Anybody who's an employee of a, of a federal 
in the federal building, same thing. They have a badge. So, or you have a bar right, card. But, but, but let's say you've got that badge and, and you go to do your work, some inspector or government GA, whatever, wanders around and, and notices that in, in uh, hanging from Jeff's bat, uh, belt is a three and a half inch pocket knife. What I, happens then? You walk through because I've seen, I've walked through with, with tools. I usually keep my tools on the job site and the job box all locked up, but my tools originally are, are inspected the day I get there. Mm-hmm. And every day that I bring in new tools, they're expected as well. Inspected. Right. So there's some process. There's there some process. But if they just found you with a weapon, what they classify as a weapon, which you brought in without clearance, what, what would the reaction be? I, I don't know if there is. I, I've never had to do that. I've never done that. I mean, I've brought my little, my little razor knife, my little box cutter in a few times, but it's been in my, it's been in my uh, briefcase and not shown. The one thing with, with these devices, it, he could have a coat on. She could have had a coat on. She could put it in her briefcase, what have you, underneath her shirt, whatever, and it not be detected. And that's what I'm saying. Is if it's not visible, well, right, they're not going to patch you down. In the case of the Kirpan, it's got to be visible. I mean, that's the impression I get. But here's my question. Is the reason we have to allow that under religious freedom or not? Does that fall under the First Amendment's protections? I don't know that it does because, uh, because of one of the things they talked about in the case, the compelling interest. I mean— you could argue that it falls under the Second Amendment right to bear arms, but the government has, you know, it's been established in cases that in places like federal buildings where the government has a compelling interest to not have a bunch of armed people in a jury, you know, in a, in a courtroom, that they can restrict it. And yeah, I would think the same would fall under religion, that if they've got the compelling interest, that even though there is a right to religious freedom, there there's an interest for not having people, a bunch of armed people in a room. Now, now I'm going to take this in a total different direction. So do then, if I'm going to apply for a government job and I happen to be a Sikh and this is part of my religion, I have to have this, and you tell me that you won't hire me because of that, can I have a discrimination claim? I think that's a little bit different issue. Um, you might have some sort of claim, I would guess, but that the, the bigger issue here is jury duty. Right. So this Sikh gentleman, this uh, Gursant Singh, is now claiming and threatening to, uh, and may have, for all I know, filed a lawsuit by this point, again, under Title VII, claiming that he's being discriminated against because he's not being allowed to serve on a jury because he will not take off his curpad. Is this, is this freedom of religion versus public safety? And is public safety really threatened by, and I've got a picture of him with his knife here, is, is public safety really threatened by that knife i well, i don't know that it is the question becomes once you make the exception does that then lead to you know much larger weapons or can you establish well if it's under a certain size kind of a thing well also too now and you brought something up in the first segment the appearance and and, and as you said Sikhs often get mistaken to be a different religion. Now, all of a sudden, does it become a public interest, the fact of this guy who who is a Sikh, but somebody may think that he's of a different religion. Mm. Now, all of a sudden, he's carrying a weapon. He's going to come in. By the way, he describes himself as a, quote, confrontational purpose, pers- confrontational person with a conservative agenda, unquote. Went on to say, quote, a lot of people don't like me. Unquote. <laughs> well, those are really good things yeah, to say are, to bolster well, not, your case. Yeah, you're not, exactly, you're not bolstering your your argument to be on the jury. We haven't 
we really haven't reached the point of, of what would happen on Vordaire with this guy. I, I, I got a feeling he would not make it through. Yeah, I don't think he would. But, but is there a right to actually get to that point? As a citizen, what do you think of that? Now, I mean, we, we've talked about this originalist idea. Um, there's, a, there's a deeper issue here that, that, to me, speaks of why this is important, and that is that if you go and you read the Federalist Papers and you read about the talks, and, and Pat and I were, were reading some of this before the, uh, before the show, there's an understanding that the framers had of this and the writers of the, the amendments and the, and the, of the Constitution had in that good citizens would want to be on juries because juries were seen as the last bulwark, the, the, the final defense against an abusive government. And again, they were pro-mercy, pro-defendant, and pro-populist. They were seen as representing the will of the people against the government, even in criminal trials. The Salem witch trials would never have happened, could never have happened under a constitution in the United States. They couldn't, at least no. as, as in vision, they would never have been able to happen. She's the witch. But under a system that was not pro-mercy, pro-defendant, and pro-populist, that's how you get away with hanging a bunch of women and, and crushing a guy with rocks because nobody speaks for them. The defense, the defense attorney, and, and Pat's a lawyer, but he's not, you're not in, in criminal law, but we, we all have watched enough Perry Mason and, and the likes to understand that a law defense and attorney. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to bring that up, but I figured, <laughs> I, figured Jeff, I figured Jeff would, so I'd beat him to it. Thank you. There's the defense attorney is seen as speaking for the defendant, and to a degree that's true. But reality is, the jury is looking at this is supposed to look at the defendant, and whether it's a criminal case or a civil civil case, and determine not just whether or not guilt is involved, but whether or not the punishment fits the crime. Fits the crime, or whether, or even if it doesn't fit the crime. Is this in the best interest of what we as a society want? And it, and it's interesting how it's evolved that the founding fathers would look on defense attorneys, as you say, as the last defense against government. And today, the typical person on the street looks at, and, and in many cases with justification, defense attorneys as, you know. Thwarting the will of the, the government. The ball, the ball of slime right. who's defending the evil criminal. Against against the the district attorney that we the people elected to prosecute these crimes, the district attorneys run on that. I'm protecting you, when in fact it's the jury that's supposed to be protecting you. Well, all, or defense lawyers are producing kids that have reality TVs that TV shows that nobody you know. understand what the heck they're supposed to be. But yeah, and yeah. really weird, uh, really weird. Well, here, here surgery too. Yeah, here's the. Uh, no, you can finish the thought. Okay, as I say, here here's the thing that. That uh, so if he brings a knife in, what if what if your religion says that I want to paint blood on my face, or if I'm bringing a Bible in to a jury? Does that? That's a very good question. What about the Christian who wants to bring in Christian accoutrements? So are they permitted to do that? Yeah, that, that's that's the uh, that's the other question. What lessons have we learned about jury duty, religion, and the combination of the two? So I guess uh, I should point out that I've I've misidentified Gersan Singh as being a Sacramento resident. It's Sutter County, not Sacramento County. So not not that it makes a whole lot of difference here, but Yuba City to be exact. <laughs> yes, Yuba City to be exact <laughs> and precise. 
So here's the questions that are on the table. Do you have a right to, to be on a jury? Is it a, a religious freedom issue to bring your religious accoutrements, even if they are banned by law from a courtroom, particularly in this case, a weapon? Um, I, I don't think there's much doubt that the this Kirpan is a, is a valid religious accoutrement in the Sikh religion. I'd no, it'd be a little hesitant. Yeah, yeah it's completely a, legitimate. If, right. If a... Um, Islamic person showed up or a Christian or a Jewish person showed up and said, yes, this four foot sword is part of my religion. I'd, I'd be a little concerned, <laughs> but given how the Sikhs look at what that weapon is for, at least in their, uh, in their teachings, you kind of have to accept it as a part of their thing. So should he be allowed in? Should he be seated as a, as a potential juror? Uh, you don't have a right to be a juror. That's my that's my my takeaways. You don't have yeah. a right to be a juror. So well, not only do you not have the right to be a juror, but I think, you know, as here in your notes you mentioned, I think the public safety argument. Although yes, this particular little knife probably isn't much of a threat to the broad public safety. It, it could be to it. It does cut. It could be to one person, and you know, I, particularly if you allow the exception for him and for others, when you get a large number of people in a room all of whom are armed, unpleasant things can tend to happen. Six inch, a six-inch knife goes very deep into you know skin and can do some major damage. So the, the idea here that this guy, he meets the, the description of what the framers were looking for in a jury, um, in a juror, in the fact that he's interested, wants to be in there. He's, con- he's obviously coming from a conservative viewpoint. Now, what that means to him, I don't know. Does that mean that he's, he walks in there with an assumption of, of innocence or, or guilt I, without talking, yeah, it could to actually guy, I don't go know. both ways. It could very well. I mean, he could be very pro, uh, if they anti crime. Yeah, and so who knows what that means? I, I would tend to tend to lean to the idea that he should not be allowed to bring that in there. However, is this going to result in a Title Seven lawsuit that says we're violating his religious freedoms under the First and Fourteenth Amendments? I don't think so, because again, there are whether it's with First Amendment or Second Amendment, there are exceptions first amendment uh parents who are of particular faiths that don't believe in medical treatment you know it's been well established that you know they're free to decide that for themselves but if it's their children the government does have a compelling interest to come in and forcibly give medical treatment to that child if the child's life is in danger well clearly that's a from the parents point of view that's a complete violation of their first amendment rights but the the courts have decided no where there's a compelling interest that works. And I think it's the same thing here. It's, um, it's intriguing to me, by the way, not all Sikhs feel the same way. Uh, Tejender Dosanji, who is a spokesman for the Sikh temple in, uh, in Yuba city said, it's a place of justice, the courtroom. He should follow the rules just like everybody else does. And that not following those rules is tantamount to violating the, the 10 teachings of the, of the guru. So basically his, well, "Quote unquote minister from or rabbi spokesman. From, spokesman spokesman well but a spokesman for the town for his religious organization is basically saying no his religion doesn't say that but but here's the thing is would would if he got permission from the church to take it off to serve on the jury well would it, that make it feel what, a lot better yeah it's, it, they actually it, because again I I think we're back into the same argument the uh, it's the it's the Luther versus uh, Pope." Shia versus Shiite, same argument again, right. which is um, I, I get the impression that Sikhdom tends to be a more personal interpretation religion. 
of things and what uh, what's you know important to you. And, and even to some degree, the New Testament uh, implies that in Paul's uh, writings as well. He goes on to say, uh, Tengender does, if he personally feels, that would be uh, Gersant, feels that uh, this is a violation of his faith, what he should do is stay home and not go to jury duty, which is an intriguing statement because now what we're saying is if he feels that giving up the Kirpan is a violation of his faith, then he should violate the law and just not show up. That's not true because on, on the questionnaires, when you get a jury summons, you can you can put on there that because of religious reasons, right. I, I feel like I'm not eligible to sit on a jury and and you can you can state on there the reasons why I, I you know my faith tells me I must carry around a six inch dagger and I'm not allowed to have a six inch dagger. And the courts tend not to accept most of those arguments. Do- yeah, but I, but that particular one I think they very well might. If yeah, if, but this guy did not put on his jury response form that I I can't show up for religious reasons. He showed up and right. told you can't come in. Now his. His spokesman is saying, well, if he really feels that it's a violation of faith, he should have stayed home and not showed up, which is a, that's a, not showing up to jury duty is going to get you on my well, bad list. Well, unless he sent in the form saying. But he didn't. Right. That's what I'm saying. He didn't I mean, do same that. thing as you can send in the form saying, I can't serve right now because I'm too busy. Or I'm sick or I'll be out of town. Or right. Don't get me started. Because that's a discussion for a total another day. By the way, the um, Singh went on to say the, the Kerpa is supposed to be a practical weapon can be used to defend yourself and those who cannot defend themselves. So there is a weapon-esque element to this, and as Jeff pointed out a little while ago, it's a six-inch knife, four- to five-inch knife. It could cause damage to someone should uh, should a kerfuffle ensue. As, as kerfuffles have ensued in other parts of the world. Right. Uh, one of the most amusing stories I've read in recent weeks was a some sort of Sikh gathering, and I don't pretend to understand the entirety of why they were all there, but these were the Sikhs that... Uh, I, I apparently they have a bigger idea of what's needed to defend themselves <laughs> and and others who cannot defend themselves. These are the Sikhs who are carrying basically cutlasses and large swords and a group of them, probably, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 of them in a room somewhere. And a, uh, a disagreement ensued, which resulted with this group of Sikhs basically going all Game of Thrones on each other with the swords. Now, fortunately, this did not happen here in the United States, but it's... It's an illustration of why you maybe need those rules for certain places well, I mean, like courthouses. Uh, bad guys with swords. Well, Aladdin. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I mean, really, if you're if you're talking about a religion, and 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 pardon me for this is kind of presumptive, but I'm going to say it. Keep in mind that Singh is not he's not a native born Sikh. He was not raised in the religion. So people who tend to convert to a another religion. Do so for reasons that are intensely personal, and, and having experienced this myself, I know this very well. And they tend to be, and, I, and I'm generalizing, but they tend to be very intense about their religious beliefs. They tend yes. to be very dedicated to them, yes. whereas a native-born person to that might look at something and go, eh, it's no big deal. They tend to look at it as, well, this is a great offense to me, and I must whip out my sword here and go Game of Thrones on people or, you know— criticize somebody because they dared breathe a, a, a piece of bacon into my home and oh my god we can't have that in a sort of sort of approach to life smokers <laughs> ex-smokers are the worst yeah i mean they they drive I, i've never smoked it before but they, they drive ex-smokers drive smokers nuts you, you get that religious or vegans in general yeah you get that religious fervor to it that becomes um i don't want to call it unbearable but i but i look at it like I, I look at a guy like this and i think to myself 
does the religion really say that he always has to have that? Now I've read the I've read the the requirements there, and yes, it does say that there. But then I got this spokesman guy saying, "Look, it's he needs to follow the rules like everybody right. else. Which is more important, following the rules like everybody else, or wearing a sign that says I'm I'm a Sikh and baptized, and therefore I'm putting my First Amendment rights basically in your face." Hmm. I, I tend to agree with you about the fact that people who, who convert to a, to a certain religion become a little more hypersensitive to that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you asked the question earlier about the Bible. Right. Could a Christian carry a Bible? And, and we actually had a Facebook post of that. Well, if I'm, I'm a Christian, so I would feel like I should be able to take my Bible in there. That's fine and dandy. How does that Bible help you decide the facts of the case? Well, and also, too, is, you know, unless it's a wooden Bible with studs coming out of it, a Bible is, not te- is technically not considered a way well, actually i would think you could carry a bible if you wanted to i mean i the few times i've gone i haven't carried a bible but i mean pretty much everybody who goes to jury duty carries a book with them although i suppose today it would be a kindle right but i mean everybody brings something to read while you're sitting around for hours you and know, hours see a book is better because that way the the jury or the the attorneys can see what book you're reading and then kind of go eh, no yeah <laughs> well the last time i went i actually took uh i actually took a thermos of coffee we were permitted coffee in the jury box and that was wonderful. I had a great experience both times I started on jury. So what lessons have we learned here? Any any applicable lessons here? Or well, being being a jury member to me is not a right. I, I think there's there is an argument, and but there are certain rules that you have to follow when you go into a state and public building, and that is you can't bring a weapon in there, and it's it's clearly stated. So in these cases, I think you know leave the dagger at home and and go serve, or you you fill out the jury saying. I wear a six-inch dagger, so let me know if I'm allowed in the building or not. I, I would basically agree with everything you just said. <laughs> well, this is unusual. Pat and Jeff agreeing on wow. everything. Mark it down. Uh, at the end of the It'll day, live in infamy. Um, at the end of the day, this is still up in the air up there in Sutter County. They're still trying to noodle through this as to what they're going to end up doing. My guess is, are they trying to cut through the red tape? <laughs> My guess is they'll come to some accommodation, but I will have to wait and see. You got any comments or questions you want to uh, weigh in on this podcast at constitutionthursday.com is the email address. You can send us there. Don't forget, share. By the way, we got a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash constitutionthursday. Uh, you want to be a fan of the show and then uh, share it with people. It doesn't do any good if you uh, I, I want to yourself. say thanks to, to the audience that came out uh, on our live taping. Thanks. Thanks for That was a great us. experience. That was real fun. So we'll see you next time for Constitution Thursday, the Saturday podcast. Constitution Thursday, the Saturday podcast, is a Slippery Fish Entertainment production. Copyright 2014. To comment or complain, email podcast at constitutionthursday.com or go to www.constitutionthursday.com.